What's up, guys? Welcome to Logo Podcast. I'm Max. I am Sam. I'm Joey. Also, I'm the only one sitting in the room right now. That's because you're lame. Uh, I guess so. Well, get on the movement, guys. Stand up when you're doing your work. These guys have the standing desk and everything. Standing desk. They got So on today's topic, uh, today's discussion, we have um, a discussion that's dense. Dense. uh, Difficult. Yeah, it's massive. Um, But we're going to try to... Uh, tackle it as best we can um, on this episode, and it's particularly um, the problem of evil, right? So how can evil exist if uh, there is a good God who created the world? Yeah, yeah it's kind of like the million-dollar question, right? And this question is a mystery, but I think the catechism does a good job of underlining this mysteriousness yeah. Um, of the question. Yeah. So the it's uh, paragraph three hundred nine in the Catechism, and it and it's a quote saying, "If God the Father Almighty, the Creator of of the ordered and good world, cares for all His creatures, why does evil exist?" To this question, as pressing as it is unavoidable, and as painful as it is mis- mysterious, no quick answer will suffice. No quick answer. All right, so... Uh, this episode's over, guys. We're going to try to do this in, what, 20 minutes? What if we prove the catechism wrong right now? Boom, no. we'll answer it su- sufficiently <laughs> in 20 minutes. Let's do it. Remove that paragraph from the catechism. So, Joe, what does... What is a good definition, or how can we? How do you think we should approach this this question? Yeah, well, it's a question that people have been approaching for as long as really human beings have been around, right? And even after the revelation of Jesus Christ, even after Christianity came onto the scene, even Christians have been grappling with this question. I think, I think it's so big, as Sam noted in the because it's painful because a lot everyone has an experience of evil and suffering in their lives, and so we have to come to terms with it and we have to wrestle with it, but. I think a pretty good pl- Sam's standing up now. Sam just Sam stood just up, stood guys. Up this is about to get real. Because things are getting serious and we're talking about evil, and uh, he's finally coming to a sense. I'm getting fired up. All right, so we got these two figures, right? We got Augustine and Aquinas. So these guys are going to be the best, the best places to look for answers to this problem. Um, in St. Augustine's famous work, The Confessions, which I highly recommend to anybody who's considering my life. pursuing truth and like finding God. Um, St. Augustine talks about, um, he wrestles with this problem at length for chapter after chapter. He kind of like wrestles with how can this evil exist in a world if God is all good and all powerful because it doesn't seem like that could make sense. And I think I think that's a reason why a lot of people yeah. don't believe in God, right? Yeah, and it's it's a it's a reasonable question. Yeah, you know, speculation. So, so Augustine he comes to this brilliant conclusion that has informed kind of the Christian way of thinking about this for the last two thousand years, or almost two thousand years. I guess he was like fourth century. Yeah, but he said that okay, God created the universe. Yep. Because that's the case, everything that exists is good. God sustains everything in existence at every moment. So everything that has existence insofar as it has existence on some level is good. Like he's saying, he says being like the act of existence is good in itself. Right. And because of that evil, even though it's present in the world, because it's the opposite of good, evil has to be not a substantial thing, not like a substance, but a lack of something. So he says evil is the privation or the lack of, of a do good of a of a good that ought to be there, and I think that's a fascinating. Well, let's definition. unpack it a little bit because yeah. it's 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 like philosophical <laughs> it's language, intense. right? So it's kind of like, okay, what are you talking about? So basically, it's like it's not a thing. Is basically what he's saying is evil like doesn't exist in itself. Like it's like yeah, 
everything's good. So basically, the evil is like something that really, 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 really lacks good. Yeah, it's just not there. And and if if you notice in the definition itself, it places goodness primary to evil. Right. Evil. Evil right. is only like good is good is what's most essential. Yeah. Like being in itself is good, and evil is can never be understood except with reference to what's good. And I think there's a couple of good examples to maybe hash this out. I think two good examples, particularly that help kind of illustrate this definition better. Um, are an example I particularly like to refer to, to refer to is the example of a donut. A donut. Big donut. Now we're listen, talking. Listen. Now we're talking. Listen to this, guys. So a donut has a hole. In the middle. In the middle of the donut. Not all of them. Not, and not to be confused with a donut hole because those are actual complete Like a timbit of from Wendy's. Yes, nothing like that. That would be like a donut hole. Yeah. Honestly, who thought of that? I, I don't know. It's genius. So, <laughs> but like the hole in the middle of a circular so donut. So is it is existent or is it not? I'm going to go with it's not. What, I mean, yes, it does exist, right? It like exists. there's a hole in the middle of this donut. But then it kind of doesn't. Because there's nothing there. No. So like it exists as far as like the dough that should be there exists. That makes sense. Yeah. Right? So like. That's it, what evil is. It's, it's a lack of what ought to be. It's a lack of something. Yeah, right? It's a lack of something. And then a second example we can kind of refer to here is blindness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So what belongs proper to created um, and visual things such as animals yeah. or, or man, right? We ought to see things. Mm-hmm. And blindness is a lack of vision that's proper to man and creatures who are able to see. Right, so when something's blind, that's an evil because it's a lack of a do good. Yeah, right. It's a vision. Lack, vision is what we. It's a lack of vision. Yeah, correct. So, um, so yeah, so I think this is a really helpful definition of evil. Um, but the question still becomes like, why does God allow evil to exist? Okay, yeah. So we've said it's it's the lack of something, but right. it's still present in the world. Mm-hmm. We have to say that, and that's we're we're not blind to that. So why does a good God allow this to happen? And I think. Um, the first thing we want to say is that he doesn't cause it to exist, right. right? Yeah. So there's a distinction. Yeah, it's his permissive will versus active will, right? So his active will is obviously the things that he's doing, like yeah, actively for lack of a better way, right? He's 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 kind of out there holding it into being and doing it himself, whereas right. he permits evil in the sense that like he's not stopping it from happening, but he's just letting it go on for a greater good. That's why he's doing it. Mm. Uh, and typically that greater good that we're talking about is the, the classic like answer to what is that greater good is human freedom. And we see that in Aquinas too, right? Because, right. I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but the, the classic example is that, you know, God is permitting these things to go on so that human beings are free to freely choose him. Right. Yeah. So let's go into like right here, these two types of evil, I guess, right? Because there's, there is two types, which is the first one's natural evil and the second one's moral evil. So the natural evils are kind of like things you can see, right, in, in, in the world, right? So these classic examples are like hurricanes, uh, earthquakes, uh, tornadoes, car stuff wrecks. like that that are going on, car wrecks, yeah. Yeah, so why does God allow these natural evils to exist? Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's one way of maybe looking at this that can maybe shed some light on it. Okay, mm-hmm. so you take something like a hurricane, for example, or yeah. a or an earthquake, right? An earthquake is the, uh, is the, you know, coming together of tectonic plates that causes, you know, the ground to shake and things to, you know, get messed up. Mm -hmm. That's my very scientific description of what an earthquake is. But, um, 
So, and, you know, obviously earthquakes, when they come into collision with, you know, human civilizations, they can cause a lot of destruction and pain, yeah. right? So that in itself looks like a pretty evil thing because people suffer, people, some people maybe even die, homes are destroyed. But if you kind of zoom out from that, you know, looking at the narrow sense of an earthquake, like look just where it happens, you can kind of see the universe that God created acting according to these laws of nature, yeah. Right. These ordered laws that carry out in an intelligible and ordered form that we can know and like understand. And I think so if you zoom out and kind of see this big picture, how like the world came into existence through a bunch of earthquakes and like and, and things colliding and just yeah. like so. So in and of themselves, like an earthquake, there's nothing bad about an earthquake. It's just like land coming together. Yeah, But also if the if the tectonic plates didn't exist, then we literally would not have a floor to stand on. Yeah. You know, gravity would be compromised exactly. on Earth. Right. You know. Yeah. Or like another example, like a lot of people will point to like competition in nature between between animals and stuff. Like, say a lion eats a buffalo. Or uh, have you guys ever seen a lion eat a buffalo? Uh, unfortunately, like, like a video of it. I've watched. Yeah. It's pretty gruesome. It's pretty entertaining. <laughs> Sorry, it's hard to admit. It's wow, a little bit dude. entertaining. <laughs> um, but. So, okay, that looks like a really evil thing. And in one sense, it is a yeah, naturally evil right. thing because the buffalo is being deprived of the do-good that is its life. Mm. But what happens from, after, from that encounter? If you kind of zoom out, you can see that A, the lion gets fed. Boom. B, then the, 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 the dead buffalo decomposes and becomes fertilizer for the soil. Yeah. Right? From which new life springs forth. Yeah. So, like... This thing that looks, when you just look narrowly at this one instance, like an evil thing, if you kind of zoom out and look at the whole kind of order of creation, you can see how it contributes to this harmony and like this life cycle. And like you can see how this pattern of life springing forth from death is like baked into the created world. Right, right. So that's that's natural evil. But then there's there's this other type of evil that's, I think, a bit worse. Well, the catechism certainly says that moral evil is worse than natural evil. And this is only because... This kind of ties into our episode on human freedom is that like human beings are choosing to engage in these activities that lack good. Yeah. Yeah. So these types of activities like it's, you know, the things like murder, for example, that would be like a moral evil, obviously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And. Or wars, you know, wars and, you know, lying and just sin, pretty much sin. So it's pretty easy to see with moral evil that God is not the cause of it. Right. Uh, because it's man. Because man is the cause of it. But man why does God it. allow man to do these things? Why does God allow a world in which man can sin? I, um, I would say, and I think Sam already kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but like God allows man to choose at all in order to choose him. Right. So like, so like evil exists and because it exists, well, and, well, I guess the other way around. Goodness exists, and because goodness exists, evil allows us the choice to choose the good. Does that make sense? It gives us two options. So right? God gives us freedom. God gives us freedom. And because he allows us to choose the goodness or orders us towards that goodness, um, then evil is just like a like a subsequent of that, if you, if you will. So God gives us the ability to choose because if we couldn't choose at all— mm-hmm then we couldn't choose him freely. We wouldn't be free. If he didn't give us freedom, we couldn't love him. Yeah. Right. And so he gives us, this is a radical thing. He gives us the freedom to reject him. If we want to, he gives us the freedom to sin if we want to. Yeah. And because of that, 
a lot of evil exists in the world. Like a lot of evil that exists in the world is a result of human beings sinning and choosing choosing to turn against their ultimate end, which is God. Yeah, and I, I assume the alternate of this would be a world where he kind of micromanages every little thing and takes away human freedom itself. Then there's no love. Well, that, that doesn't sound fun to me. That sounds like a terrible time. Because <laughs> like, I, I can't even choose what to do at all. It's just like, okay, this is what God's making me do. I'm not, I don't, I'm not loving him. I don't, I'm not choosing the good freely. I'm just like, I'm here. Right. If God forces around. us to love him, then we don't actually love him. Right. right. Love, has to, love has to be chosen. It has to be free. So it, like in his, in his infinite wisdom, he says, I'm going to permit these things so that these human beings yeah. can freely choose me and freely love me. And so like that, like these moral evils manifested through these actions, right? these gruesome and awful actions oftentimes in, in the world um, only occur so that we're able to choose him and choose him on a constant basis. But it's still hard, man. It is. It is it's very still hard. hard. There's um, still a lot of suffering out there. People suffer all of... the time, man. I and you know, I, I think um, I I would like to give this example and as a kind of a transition example too. Yeah. Um, over the summer, uh, a priest friend called me and he was like, "Hey, Max, um, I need you to come help me translate for this family who's in a tough situation." And I was like, "Well, Father, can you give me the backstory?" And he was like, "Well, Max, um, this family, uh, this family's." Uh, younger son he's 14 years old committed suicide in the family kitchen and the mother walked into the kitchen to find her son on the floor dead good gracious and I remember for that moment um, a deep anger almost like I was I was angry um, at God because I was like God I don't understand it like I don't like help me understand this and so I just remember just like being sad and father noticing it. He was like, you, you're okay, Max? I'm just like, father, I just, I don't get how this is rational. I don't get it, you know? And, and he said, you know, in a certain way, it's not rational. It's sub-rational. You can't really understand this thing, right? Um, and I asked him like point blank, how do you expect or how, how do you, how would I, how am I supposed to deal with this? How would you deal with this father? You know? And he just tells me, he says, Max, like, not all things have an answer. And situations like this are mysterious. Like, the kid did it. To what extent he was knowledgeably doing this, we don't know. We yeah. can only speculate. Yeah. But, like, nonetheless, I think the priest's response to me is, is very fair. And I think that's like, that's, like, the epitome of what we can't answer. He told me, Max, you be silent and you care for those people because you don't have the answer. I yeah. don't have the answer. Yeah. And I just remember, that's, like, to kind of tie this, this this loose end, it's we don't have all the answers for 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 these two, um, but nonetheless there is something going on. Yeah. So going back to Saint Augustine, he makes this radical claim that God only allows evil to bring about a greater good. Right. Right. That 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 is why our good God allows evil to exist, whether it be moral evil, whether it be natural evil, and that it's it's to bring about a greater good from it. Now I think. That in an example like that, like suicide, where there's so much suffering or like, you know, the, the mom who's like two year old dies of cancer. And like, there's just, there's so much suffering out there in the world. And that it's really difficult to see sometimes that good can come from, from these evils, right? Like it's, it's almost impossible to see. Yeah. So to believe that good will come from every evil that exists takes a little bit of faith. I think it takes a little bit of faith, but I don't think it's. 
I don't think it's an, ir- an irrational faith. No. And I don't think that for a couple of reasons. One is because everybody has had at one point in their life a struggle or an evil that they've endured or some suffering that they've endured that they come out the other side of thankful for, right? Because they, they were made stronger through it. They were made a better person through it. Yeah. So like, and even if it's on, just on a small scale, right? Like we go through suffering and we go through pain and because of that pain, we become stronger and we, be, we become better people. Mm. So people can kind of see this in their own lives, but on these bigger, with these bigger questions, it, it becomes harder to see like the Holocaust or like all these things, like what good is going to come out of that? Well, we're not necessarily always going to be able to see the good and perceive no. it, right. you know, exactly or be able to define it. And who are we to say that there is no good that happened? Right. I think there's a really good example that Bishop uh, Barron gives. Yeah. Um, about, I love this example. About grappling with yeah. evil. Um, he says, okay, so hopefully most people who are listening to us know the story of Lord of the Rings. If you don't. You need to fix that. And or go, Joey will punch you in your face. Should or, they watch the books or read the movie? I, or, think, uh, <laughs> I think they should. I think they should read the movies. Watch the books. Hey, you could read the movies. You put the subtitles on, I suppose. Uh, hey, I would read the books, but if you don't have time for that, read the watch the movies. I mean, um, but uh, well, anyway, for those of you who do know Lord of the Rings, okay, so the kind of climax of the movie is, or the book is, you know. Frodo and Sam, these two hobbits, and they're like in Mordor, which is like the, the the den of like the evil power of Sauron, and like they're experiencing extreme suffering and pain, right? And they're on the the end of their mission. Joey obviously like doesn't know what he's talking restore about. Restore goodness to the world, anyways. So let's say like you're walking down the street. Let's say you got a guy walking down the street, and he sees a piece of paper on the ground, and he bends over and he picks it up, and he and he starts reading it. It's it's a it's a it's a page from a book, and it's. And he reads it, and it's describing this gruesome and terrible scene of these two little hobbits, they're called, suffering terribly. And, he's, and he thinks to himself, oh my gosh, this is, this is terrible. How could anybody ever write anything like this? And he crumples it up, and he throws it in the, in the garbage can, and he walks away. Well, what Bishop Barron says is those who know the story of Lord of the Rings see that that's a huge mistake. Why? Because that, that one page, it's a part of a chapter which is itself a part of a book, which is itself a part of a whole trilogy. And the whole trilogy as a whole is this beautiful tale of like friendship and adventure and love, right? And so to discard that whole trilogy on the basis of this one page, you're going to miss something that's really extraordinary. It's irrational to do that. It's irrational to do that. And what's crazy is that it's precisely because of that page that the story actually is good. Like without the suffering that they endure, without the pain that they go through, the story wouldn't be as magnificent as it is. And I think in our own lives, then when we experience suffering, when we experience evil, even if we can't automatically see the good that's going to come out of it, even if it's something, you know, serious like suicide or if it's something like disease or this, these, these big evils that we don't know how to grapple with and we can't wrestle with. We, we have to remember the fact that we can only read one page of our stories at a time. Yeah. God, the divine author, knows the whole story, and he knows how it's going to come out. But when we experience evil, yeah. we shouldn't say to ourselves, oh, God can't exist or God doesn't love me. Because we don't know the narrative. Because we don't know the narrative. And it could be precisely this evil that we're enduring right now that's going to be the reason that our story yeah. is magnificent at the end of the or, day. Well, for our salvation. For our salvation. Right. And I guess like that was that was like my next thing. So like... Is this suffering at all redemptive? And how does it, what particularly, how does this kind of relate us to the cross? 
you know, is there, you know, any aspect? Of course there is, you know, but how can we kind of flesh this out? Yeah. So I think that's a good point. And I think this is kind of the good thing for our faith, right? Is that if you think about Christ, he, when he came to earth, we killed him in a gruesome way and he felt it. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to hurt. Right. In a way, cause like this is, this is the thing that separates Christ is that he knows what it's like to be his creatures. You know, mm. and that's that's a that's a very big thing, and in, in Catholicism we have this thing called where we we talk about the Sacred Heart of Christ, and when we talk about the Sacred Heart of Christ, what we're basically saying is that Christ knows our suffering, so we kind of have to cling to Him in a way, you know, where it's like if if we love Christ and we and we believe who he, who he, who He tells us He is, clinging to Him while we suffer, like is it's gonna it's gonna help us grow as people and also become better. Yeah, but also it helps us love Christ more because He knows what it feels like to suffer. And and initially, I would say if you propose this to somebody, we're like, well, just 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 uh, unite yourself to the cross. Like at first, that seems like a naive statement. And I know we, within my own life, and maybe y'all can talk on this too. But that has grown on me the closer I've grown to Christ. Like knowing what that means more, it means more. It means more to me too. Like yeah. like it's come to life. Yeah. Like what? Like uniting myself to the cross. Like. The sufferings that come in life are not always explainable, but they do have a redemptive aspect to it because of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think really the ultimate answer that God gives us to this problem of evil, this riddle that everyone tries to solve, hmm. is the is the cross. We have a God who He doesn't take away our evil. He doesn't take away our suffering. Yeah. But He comes and He enters into it. Yeah. And he suffers it himself. We had, a, we had a priest come give a retreat to us recently, and he had this great quote. He said, God didn't come to take away our suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. Amen. And so now there's this just this mysterious reality that the suffering that we endure in life becomes the means by which we attain to our eternal salvation. Mm. Like through enduring the cross, through enduring suffering, whatever it might be, whether they be the little crosses of daily life or the big stuff, that's hard to explain. We're somehow like more united to Christ in those moments than any other moment. And by offering these sufferings to him, we grow in love of him and we like, we like attain to our salvation. Yeah. And it's an incredibly mysterious thing. It's, yeah. It's like when Thomas puts his hand into Christ's side. Yeah. Like uniting himself to that aspect yeah. of like this gash on Christ's side that shows that Jesus Christ was executed on a more personal, like Jesus Christ comes in front of him, Thomas touches it. He's he's knowing the suffering and the evil that's with this, but also the glorious presence that's united to this very suffering. Christ's resurrected body still has its wounds. Right. He wears his wounds like trophies mm. because there's something in suffering. Yeah. That that is that is what he's about. And that's not, and that's not to say that like. All of our life should be based on this pessimistic view. No, that doesn't mean right? that suffering is easy. Right. You know, it's, uh, and so like the cross gives us a sign towards which we are supposed to orient our life towards. Yeah. And, and although some of these questions aren't always answerable, you know, I think the intellectual tradition of the church gives us a, a, a good uh, illumination into these truths and guide us, guides us towards Christ's very life and desire to have us dwell within that, you know? So I think uh, this is a good good way to kind of end this episode, guys. Yeah. 
um, on a very difficult topic. Um, so I hope all of you who have tuned in this episode around um, are having a fantastic day. I hope this uh, episode didn't bum you out too much, you know, but I hope you found it informative and uh, let's all unite together um, in Christ um, in our own ways. So as always, may God bless you. <laughs>